tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 407, and today we are talking about books being released on March 28th, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Kelly, hello! Hello! Welcome back! Yeah! Happy to have you with us! You know, uh, sad not to have Patricia with us. Yeah. You know, she'll be joining us again, you know, sometime. I know that she said some people have reached out to her. And asked if she had left, but she'll be back. She will. She will. And we love her and we are thinking of her. Yes. Yes, we are. Uh, what's, you know, what's really funny is that like a lot of friendships and relationships, uh, my cousin and I communicate in Instagram posts. We <laughs> like, you know, share them back and forth. And this morning he sent me one and it was actually one of Patricia's. Oh, I <laughs> that love some, that. That someone else had shared on a different site. Yeah. And I was like, that's Patricia. Made me laugh. <laughs> and then immediately I had to tell her. I've had that happen before, too, with her post. And I'm always like, oh, yeah, yeah I know her. Yeah, she's that <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so today is episode 407, which means it is the area code for uh, central parts of Florida. Yep. Serving major counties in the region, including all parts of Orange, Seminole, and Osceola. I don't actually know how to say that. I've never said it out loud. And uh, it says the largest city served by this area code is Orlando, which is in Orange County. So, hello to the people there. This has been so much fun. Like, (laughs) I've been nerding out, like, whoa. Because every time we do an episode now, people reach out and go, that's my area code. That's where I live. And I've had many people now be like, I can't wait to hear my episode. It's (laughs) it's so cute. (sighs) Yeah, it's very exciting. What else is exciting My yard is a full-blown nature extravaganza now. There's just, like, a dozen different kinds of birds. It was like the, it was like they heard that it was the first day of spring, and they were like, they were like on schedule. They're like, yeah, we're gonna show up. And so, all these birds, my first lawn bears, or woodchucks, like most people call them. (laughs) Groundhogs. (laughs) Yeah. I'm still so jealous that someone else thought of Yardvark that I, I, oh. I don't use it because I'm just mad that I didn't think of it. Oh, that's good. But they're just running all around, having the best time out there. So I, I think I've mentioned, like, I'm doubling down on my bird feeding efforts this year because it was such a success last year. So very excited about that. I want listeners to know that I finally remembered to forward to Liberty the random birding email list that I'm on and (laughs) yeah I'm still getting those like every other day thinking to myself like I don't know how I got on this one but this is one that I'm not too mad about like every time it pops up I'm like I kind of enjoy this thank you for checking in birding publicist (laughs) yeah it's just so calming and fun uh let's see what else is fun books yes we're gonna talk about books today Before we do that, I want to remind you 
that Book Riot has started a new newsletter, The Deep Dive. If you are looking for fascinating stories, informed takes, useful advice, and more from experts in the world of books and reading, you can subscribe to Book Riot's newest newsletter, The Deep Dive, and get exclusive content delivered to your inbox. Subscribe and choose your membership level today at bookriot.substack.com. There's going to be longer gems based on years of knowledge about books and publishing, experiences as readers and book curators, and research on lesser-known histories to illuminate and inspire book lovers. It's $5 a month, and you'll get this deep-dive edition of the newsletter to your inbox twice a month. Or if you're on the fence about subscribing, you can get a free subscription, which will get you the splash pad, which will round up some of our experts' recommended reading, and bookish lifestyle goods monthly. So again, visit bookriot.substack.com. Are you going to be writing for that, Kelly? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I did just recently share some thoughts on what the next topic of the newsletter is about. And, like, as I was writing my thoughts out on this, like, imagine I'm saying capital T when I say thoughts here. <laughs> I was like, oh, I have way more opinions about this than I suggested I did, like, earlier when I started talking about this. And so I'm, I'm curious to see how that story turns out. That's fun. Writing about bookish things is always fun. And now we are going to talk about books, but oh, first, we're going to hear from our first sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Okay, my first pick for today is. The Great Reclamation by Rachel Heng. Rachel Heng, this is her second novel. She wrote a novel called The Suicide Club, a novel about living several years ago. I see these these new novels and I'm like, oh, they just had one out. And then I look and it's like five, six, seven years. Like, what is time anymore? Um, this is a fantastic sweeping work of historical fiction with bits of magical realism about a young boy with a special gift. It's set... Uh, in Singapore. And at this point, you know, Singapore has gone through many changes, you know, British rule, colonialism, you know, independence, like all these things have happened. And now it is just prior to the Japanese invasion in 1942. It's set in 1941. And it's about a young boy named Abun who lives in a small fishing village in Singapore. He's the son of a fisherman. And his best friend, who he loves with his whole heart, is a girl from town who lives with her uncle. Uh, But then the Japanese invasion happens. They occupy Singapore, and Aboon and everyone who live there will have to decide what they are going to do for their families and themselves. Are they going to fight for independence after the war, or 
you know, they're going to have to make like some really difficult, heartbreaking decisions. And the magical realism that I mentioned, uh, Abun has the ability to discover movable islands. Like he finds these things of land that have helped the people of his village, which is kind of like a metaphor. I think I'm probably always wrong about these things, but I think that I know what they are. Um, but it, in my opinion, it's like a metaphor for the changing rule and atmosphere of Singapore. But like the magical realism is it's just like a very quiet bit of speculative fiction and just like fits right in with the story. It's also just a beautiful story about the great friendship and love between Abun and his friend Siak Mi. It's lovely and lush and sad. And I knew no next to nothing about the history of Singapore. And I feel like I really learned a lot from this book. And if you like endings that ruin you, this is a good one to pick up. It's The Great Reclamation by Rachel Heng. I am so excited about all of my books this week. <laughs> Starting with this one, it's Chlorine by Jade Song. And this is easily one of my favorite books of the year so far. And if you are a fan of subtle, weird horror like The Vegetarian or Night Witch with a Bee, you're going to love this one. There is a lot of body horror here, so know that going in. And there are some questionable sexual situations, all of which are addressed that way, um, to also be aware of. So the story follows Ren, who loves to swim, and maybe the word loves isn't the right word. She is downright obsessed with swimming, and she works so hard through high school to become an elite swimmer in her school. She's at the pool all the time. She has endured relentless meets and drills and verbal and sometimes physical assaults from her coach, Jim, who expects the best of her, even if he doesn't necessarily expect such of others on the team. Red knows if she does well, she'll get a scholarship to college, and that would make everyone in her life, from Jim to her mom and her father, who is currently not even in the country, as happy as can be, and obviously this is a lot of pressure for her. But Ren isn't a normal high schooler, she is a mermaid. She is obsessed with mermaids, and she knows that being a mermaid is her true calling. She absolutely belongs in the water, and despite the fact no one believes her, she believes in herself, and as such, slowly and painfully begins a transition from human to mermaid, culminating in a transformation that nobody sees coming. This book is a wild ride, and it's a really fascinating look at the pressures put on girls, especially girls of color, as they grow up. The biggest moment of transformation for Ren in this book happens when she has her first menstrual cycle, and it's a very bloody scene where we understand that Ren isn't necessarily interested in friendship nor in romance, despite the fact this is a very queer book. Instead, we see how Ren assesses people and their needs and desires, and how she, as someone who doesn't see herself as human, has entirely different needs and drives. She is both sympathetic and calculating, realizing that in order to achieve her goal, she has to acquire companionship, but the kind of companionship that benefits her movement toward her goals. I don't want to say too much here because this is the kind of book that you can understand only if you read it. But Ren has a tumultuous relationship with her parents, her mother who desires a close relationship with her but with whom Ren can't connect, and her father, as I mentioned before, has left the U.S. to spend time in his home country. All of these people are present, but they're not really 
there in the story, but it ends up being Ren's mom and later on her father who play a really big role in her movement from human to sea creature. The voice in this book is so teenager, and while this might appeal to horror-loving YA readers, it's definitely an adult book in theme and in execution and how it articulates adolescence from a real adult point of view. There are some interstitials throughout the book from Kathy, who is Ren's best friend, that provide both a look at queer longing and at the odd and yet enduring relationship the two of them have. Were they just friends or was it something more? It's up to the reader to make those decisions, especially because we really can't know what Ren thinks as she's a mermaid. This is a bizarre, engrossing, and unique book, and it's for readers who have been taken by all the weird horror we've had in the last few years. I loved every second of this one and cheered for Ren throughout, even though at times I found her to be the epitome of an annoying teenager. And that is a big compliment. This is Chlorine by Jade Sung. I love the cover of that one. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's beautiful. So my next pick today, no surprises, is A House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher. You know how much I love T. Kingfisher. She is so prolific. She's writing like two, or I don't know about how many she's writing a year actually, but she's publishing two or three books a year. I actually found her only a few years ago when I got into her horror novels, uh, The Twisted Ones and The Hollow Places. I've gone back and read a lot of her stuff. She has a great middle grade fantasy called The Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking. Uh, last year was The House of Usher, homage, what moves the dead. Uh, one of my favorite books of last year was her fantasy story, Nettle and Bone. And then later this year, she has a fantasy based around Sleeping Beauty, which I've read, which is also fantastic. But let's get back to this Southern Gothic horror, because I think she has dozens of books. We could be here talking about them all day. This is another one like the first two horror books, uh, The Twisted Ones and The Hollow Places, which is a sort of uh, visit the Southern family home and horrible things are going to happen story. It's about a woman named Sam Montgomery. She gets a call from her brother who is concerned about their mother. He's talked to her and he doesn't think that she's quite right. Uh, so Sam knows that her mother is living alone in the home that they grew up in. Uh, it was once their grandmother's home. Uh, they lived there with their grandmother for a while. Uh, it's in North Carolina. Their grandmother was a horrible person, just like an unpleasant woman, and no one can say that they were sad when she died. She was just a, an awful person. And after she died, Sam's mother changed the house to, like, suit her. It was very warm and welcoming and friendly, and she got rid of, like, all the, the horribleness and sort of, you know, exercised the house of her grandmother. And her mother is just, like, a very lovely person. She's not the horrible, hateful, racist judgmental monster that her mother was. So Sam arrives to check in on her mother, and the house is different. She realizes that her mother has put it back exactly the way that her grandmother had it. And her mother is also, like, super on edge, like, super nervous, like, trying to be, like, very proper, like, telling Sam not to say things or do things that she normally wouldn't care about. Now, Sam studies bugs for a living, and another thing that she notices is that there are no insects on an inch of the property. Like, they are on all the plants and the foliage and everything around them right up to her mother's property. And then there are, there are no bugs, which is very, very weird because 
you know, there are so many bugs. I think I read somewhere once, like, there's, like, six pounds of insects for, like, every person on the planet. So, like, there are bugs everywhere. I'm just probably making those numbers up now, but you know what I'm trying to say. She also realizes that there are some vultures that have decided to hang out in their yard, hang out around the house, um, which doesn't seem like a good sign. And she meets some of her mom's neighbors who are telling her tales of, like, her awful grandmother. They're certainly not sorry to have seen her go. And Sam's starting to really worry about her mother. And as she goes digging for answers into what's happening, she instead literally digs up a jar of human teeth. Where did that come from? I'm not going to tell you. This book is really fun. Kingfisher is so great at humor mixed with the horror. And she writes these characters that seem like they would be your friend. Like, you want to be friends with these people. I will... Okay. I will admit that I found the ending to be more on the silly side than the scary side. But that didn't bother me because a Kingfisher novel is always a good time. I do want to give content warnings for violence, gore, and murder, racism, sexism, body shaming, child neglect, and abuse. This is A House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher. My next pick is a little bit of a cheat. It came out last week, but I was so excited that nobody talked about it last week, so I could talk about it this week. And that is Poverty by America by Matthew Jesman. And I'm going to start by saying I will read anything Desmond writes. He's done profoundly important work on poverty and his current book, this one, is no exception. While there are so many books on being poor in America, and they have looked at the issue through the lens of poor people, Desmond changes the narrative in this work, asking why it is we are the wealthiest country in the history of the world, and yet we also have one of the highest rates of poverty, and why it is we allow this to remain as is. So this is a book for those who want to get in poverty abolition work, as much as it is a book about the social and political underpinnings of poverty. Why is it that America so dislikes government subsidy programs when they benefit the poor? Because the thing is, all Americans benefit from subsidy programs on some level, such as student loans, mortgage interest deductions, and other programs that benefit those with more access to wealth than those who are living in poverty. But then programs like welfare and the earned income tax credit are not championed by Americans who don't benefit from them. So Desmond makes a point that really needs to be bolded and shouted here. Like, I keep thinking about this particular line that Democrats love to scream about the need for solutions, but then when solutions arrive, they look the other way and don't actually champion them. Um, It's a lot of hand-wringing and outrage, but very little work on what is good. For example, um, did you know that the program to ensure people who would not be evicted from their homes during COVID was one of the most progressive bipartisan measures taken on poverty in U.S. history? And yet... It was not widely covered or championed or pushed for being continued, and because of that, it kind of fell away. Meanwhile, states that claim people were mooching from the system during COVID, that they were, you know, as you've heard in the news, quote, too lazy to work, saw that their populations did not, in fact, return to work at any higher rate um, when those programs were cut when compared to states where those programs continued. So in other words, we all know that the solutions to poverty are out there. We know what they are. And yet we're willing to look the other way because we can. Um, It should come no surprise that unions are another tool to end poverty. The boomer generation and generations prior had 
significantly more access to unions than the generations after. And yet we know unions work to help end poverty by demanding rights for workers, and they're popular. But where's the deeper work on ensuring unions continue and that unions can come back strong again? Desmond's book is quite short, and it's very clear-eyed on the problems and solutions of poverty. He emphasizes that all of us are complicit, and yet we don't have to be because the solutions are not hidden. Uh, We know what they are, and in order to get them implemented, we need to champion them and build movements that push for them. Those of us with access to capital can make smarter choices about how and where we spend. We've all heard the solution before. Um, and even if it feels like a drop in the bucket to buy something locally as opposed to a big box, it really does matter. Certainly cheap goods at box stores bring access to those who lack similar capital, but that comes at the cost of other people. So it's the system that only perpetuates itself. And when those of us who can step out of the system are able to do better, we then send the message that we prioritize people over goods. And if we can continue that momentum, we push for better solutions for all. I listened to this one on audio, and it was my first book performed by Dion Graham, and I was absolutely taken with it, and I will be doing a deep dive into his catalog. He conveys Desmond's message with such power and passion and urgency that it really punctuates the bigger picture of why we need to care about poverty and why we're all responsible as people reading the book to become abolitionists. We have the power, we know the solutions, we're just too busy yelling rather than doing. And that is Poverty by America by Matthew Desmond. Okay. So those are some of the books that we read and loved that are out today. And now we are going to discuss a couple of releases out today that we are excited about but haven't necessarily read. So I'm going to kick it off with Community Board by Tara Conklin. I loved, loved, loved Conklin's last novel, The Last Romantics. I'm quite sure I talked about it on the show. Loved it so much. This one seems really fun and wacky. It's about a woman who has some kind of horrible life change. I I don't, I haven't read it, so I don't know what it is. Like if she lost her job or a relationship or something. But she decides she's going to return to her childhood home Uh, in a small town in Massachusetts to lick her wounds, and it seems like a really good place to be because she was always happy there, and she's going to go back, but it's not quite how she remembered it, or maybe the town has changed, and she starts interacting with posters on the community message board, which just sounds very funny. And there are a few examples of things that, that are found on the community message board, including free, 500 cans of corn, accidentally ordered them online, I really hate corn, happy to help load. Alert! All the avocados at Price Chopper are rock hard. Don't bother. And my personal favorite, are any other parents concerned about this Baby Yoda person? Is he a drug lord or a gang leader? My kids keep mentioning him, but they only laugh when I ask for an explanation. I love it. So I'm really looking forward to picking this up when it's available, which is today. Well, not today while I'm recording this, but today when it is available to listen to. Um, that is Community Board by Tara Conklin. My next pick is one I did actually get to out today called Into the Light by Marco Shiro. And I'm going to start with a little backstory and then get into the meat of this. I might also go on a very strange tangent, but I want you to go with me here. Starting with saying that one of the 
worst things about covering books right now, especially YA books and especially queer YA books by authors of color is knowing by the description and content, it's going to be the dream book to complain about by book banners. I think Mark knows this as well and has been clear enough that they do not care and will keep writing their stories, which I love and which absolutely shows in this particular title. So Manny is wandering the Western United States after being kicked out of a place where he'd been living. He and his sister Elena had been in the foster care system since they were young. So this isn't especially unknown territory to him, this not having a settled place. But what is new is being part of the Varela crew, consisting of adults and teens who are traveling up and down the highway. It's as close as Manny has ever gotten to a family, and he has found himself feeling some romantic feelings towards Carlos, one of the fellow passengers. During pit stops, Manny cannot stop trying to see the TV and the infomercials about a camp he knows very well, a camp where he and his sister went, uh, a camp from which he was expelled, and now, as he learns, a camp where a dead body has been found. Manny is convinced it's his sister's body and that she's been killed for not following the orders of the camp leader. So now he's bound and determined to get to Idlewild and find out once and for all if Elena is alive or if she is dead. So despite being in close quarters with the Varelas, Manny has a really hard time opening up. He can't share what he's been through. And in a moment of desperation at a gas station, he flees, hoping to score a ride with somebody else going south so that he can find his way to this camp. And he does succeed in catching a ride, but it's one that fills him with memories of times he's been abused and harmed. And so when he reaches the last stop with this particular driver, he knows he has to keep going, but it'll be a surprise when he finds himself once again with the Varelis, once again giving them as little information as possible about his story. But slowly, bit by bit, he starts to share what happened to him and why he hit the road. And as he opens up, the Varelas open up to him and he realizes that they understand him and his history way more than he could have ever imagined. That and they're more than happy to help him confront his past and learn whether or not his sister is still alive. So this is a mystery at heart. Uh, We want to know who the girl is that died at the camp, if it's a girl. And if so, is it Manny's sister? But it's also a mystery about Manny. Who is he? How did he become who he is? What kind of world has he experienced that has made him shut himself off to others and himself? And why is he without a home or a family? Um, I don't want to explain a whole lot more since this is a character-driven novel. And it's a book about conversion camp pitched as the project by Courtney Summers meets Tiffany D. Jackson. And that is pretty much spot on. You're going to discover a world of conversion therapy that is terrifying and real. And the story's exploration of radical right-wing Christianity is spot on with what we're seeing happening right now on a much broader scale. The book tackles big, meaty contemporary topics such as transracial adoption, about queerness and what it means to be a person of faith while being queer. And it also tackles white saviorism. It's a book about found family and a book about love, both the kind that is familial and the kind that is romantic. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the title will prepare you for the kind of ending you'll experience after so much hardship throughout the book. Something that makes this book especially queer beyond its themes is its genre. This is not 
just realism. It's grounded in realism, but it's not a contemporary read. It weaves in a really savvy, speculative thread. And not only did I love this as a reader, but I think for this particular book, it serves to make the book even more realistic. The marketing on this one is hinging on a twist in the book. And honestly, you can ignore that. Like there's a twist and it's smart, but this book is so much more than its twist. It is constructed masterfully. It moves back and forth in time, building up to that big moment without losing steam when it gets to that twist. So if you want a book that is going to make the book banners lose their cool and a book that is an excellent look at the world so many of today's teens are living, you'll want to pick this up. And so like, here's my side thought on this one. I was reading this book at the same time I was listening to Paris Hilton's memoir, Paris. And if you're thinking, what do these two things have to do with each other? Paris is memoir talks a lot about her time at a uh, troubled teen school growing up and how awful the troubled teen industry is. Like this has become her big passion and advocacy project. And it was so interesting to hear her experiences at the same time I'm reading this story about Manny and this conversion camp he's at and just how many parallels there were in this real story and this fictional story. But even more than that, how these characters were able to survive and endure Paris being a white girl versus Manny being a child of the foster care system, a brown kid who is queer. And it was really a powerful way to read this book. I'm not suggesting you have to read Paris's book at the same time, but I mean, it gives you something to kind of chew on and think about as you as you dig into this one. And that is Into the Light by Marco Shiro. I love Marco Shiro. I love their books. And they were so, so funny at Book Riot Live. I don't know if you got a chance to see them, but oh my goodness. Yeah, I had dinner with Mark one night and just had a blast listening to them, like, tell all their stories. And um, I've loved every book that I've read by them. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. So my next pick today is... 70 times 7, A True Story of Murder and Mercy by Alex Marr. Alex Marr wrote Witches of America, which came out a few years ago, which I absolutely loved. I haven't read 70 times 7, but I do want to give you a heads up now that there is upsetting content in this discussion that I'm going to mention um, because it is about a true crime. Um, I remember actually reading about this. I think it was in People Magazine, like when I was a kid, I remember reading this story. But in 1985, in Gary, Indiana, 15-year-old Paula Cooper killed an elderly woman named Ruth Pelkey in a home invasion. Paula was black, Ruth was white, and a former Bible school teacher, and Paula was quickly charged and sentenced to death. And no one really thought anything of it, sentencing a 10th grader to death. Uh, But then Ruth's grandson against the wishes of his family, decided to forgive Paula and started campaigning for clemency. And he wanted to learn more about Paula and what would lead a teenage girl to commit such an act. Um, and, and as it turned out, she'd had this extremely traumatic upbringing, just absolutely horrible. And... Mar explores not just this case, but also examines other cases of forgiveness and people who chose compassion. It's also a look at the system that would condemn a 10th grader to death without batting an eye and how much race played a part in that sentencing. 
Um, it sounds absolutely devastating and heartbreaking. I also remember some other things about this case. I'm not going to tell you what happened to Paula uh, in case you want to read this for yourself, but uh, I'm looking forward to picking this up as hard as it sounds. It is 70 times 7, A True Story of Murder and Mercy by Alex Marr. And before we hear Kelly's last book, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Okay, Kelly, what do you have? So my last book is one I haven't gotten to yet, and this is out in paperback. It's a paperback original, and it is In Nightfall by Suzanne Young. It has been a little while since I've read a book by Suzanne Young, but one thing I know for sure, I'm going to pick this one up as soon as I can because it is billed as a fun feminist vampire romp. And Young does teen voice so well. So I know it's the kind of fun read that's going to hit the spot. And it is being pitched as Lost Boys featuring girls meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So Theo and her brother Marco threw an absolute banger of a party. But they got caught. And their punishment is spending the summer with their grandma. Uh, Grandma lives 850 miles away from their home in Arizona. Nightfall, Oregon, where they're going has a population of under 900 people, and it will certainly isolate the siblings and force them to think about what they've done. Or will it? Grandma is superstitious, and she's fretful, and she has one big rule that Theo and Marco have to follow. They need to be home before dark. Might be a small town, but it's really dangerous out there. And you can kind of guess, Theo and Marco only kind of listen, But they find themselves eager to spend time with a local girl that they meet named Minnow and some of her friends. And as the siblings spend more time with Minnow and her crew, they come to learn that maybe what their grandma told them was not hyperbole. Uh, Nightfall has some secrets that do come out at night. And that is In Nightfall by Suzanne Young. Okay. And now we're going to hear about a few books that are out in paperback today. Hooray! Oh, before I do that, though, I do want to mention that there are two books out today that I absolutely love, but they are sponsors of of some of our content this week, so we're not endorsing them on the show. But uh, it is uh, Lone Women by Victor Laval and White Cat Black Dog Stories by Kelly Link. You know how much I love both of them. So just check those out, too. And now, paperback releases! Hooray! So many of these came out in 2021. I was, like, writing about them for the notes, and I was like, that was last year? Oh, no, it was a lot longer ago than that. Starting with Crying in H-Mart, a memoir by Michelle Zauner. This was one of the biggest memoirs of 2021, one of the big books. Zauner is of the band Japanese Breakfast, and she writes about growing up in America Uh, traveling to visit family in Korea, the food she remembers and loves and shared with her mother and her mother's death, and how the grief hit her all at once while she was in an H-Mart, hence the title, Crying in H-Mart. Ten Steps to Nanette, a memoir situation by Hannah Gadsby. This is the memoir slash building on her award-winning show Nanette from amazing comedian Hannah Gadsby. The It Girl by Ruth Ware, the author of The Woman in Cabin 10, and In a Dark, Dark Wood, and many others, returns with a story about a woman who learns the man who murdered her friend in college has died, but then discovers that he may not have actually committed the crime. She has a new book coming out soonish, I think? Can't remember what it's called, though. Zero Days, maybe? That sounds right. Queen of the Tiles by Hannah Alcuff, which I think we talked about on the show. 
uh, when it came out, is now in paperback, about a teen who is returning to the world of competitive Scrabble a year after her friend, a Scrabble champion herself, died mysteriously at the table. Playlist for the Apocalypse, the most recent collection of poems from award-winning poet Rita Dove. That's out today. And three of my favorite books of the last couple years are all out today. Uh, Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel, which is speculative fiction, and my favorite of hers so far, which is saying a lot because she's amazing. This is about a young man in the Canadian wilderness, you know, back in history, and then it fast-forwards to the future where there's an author who lives on the moon but is now on Earth on book tour when a pandemic breaks out. And then there's also a detective in the future investigating something in the Canadian wilderness. A House Between Earth and the Moon by Rebecca Sherm. There's so much going on in this sci-fi book. I loved it so much. There's a man who is trying to save the planet from climate change with his algae that he's making, which he thinks might reverse the damage. He's given a place on a space station that has been built for billionaires uh, by a Google-like company. Uh, but when he gets there, it's not finished. There's all these problems. Plus, his family back home is having all kinds of problems. And the people on the space station are unknowingly being studied. Their human behavior is being studied closely for an algorithm that the company is building. And Little Thieves by Margaret Owen. I loved this YA fantasy. It's a retelling of the Goose Girl. There's a young woman who assumes the identity of a princess so that she can rob the rich and take those riches and cash them in so she can flee the town once she has enough. But then the princess's fiancé shows up, assuming that she's her, and also the man who is looking for the thief shows up, and they're both, like, right around her. She doesn't know what to do, and she's going to have to figure it out. It's really fun. There's also the sequel to this is out this fall called Painted Devils. And in paperback originals today, there's a few fun ones. Uh, Hanging with Vampires, a totally factual field guide to the supernatural by Insha Fitzpatrick. Uh, this is a middle grade nonfiction book with questions and answers about vampires. It looks at vampire lore, at vampire books and movies. There's activities and history. It sounds really fun. Sea Change by Gina Chung, about a woman who works in an aquarium and befriends an octopus, and what happens when that aquarium is sold. And imagine me saying this all in caps. OMFG Bees! Bees are so amazing, and you're about to find out why. By Matt Cracked, who is the author of The Field Guide to Dumb Birds of North America and The Field Guide to Dumb Birds of the Whole Stupid World, which are also both very funny. This is pretty cute. I flipped through it, and there's lots of information about bees, but also it's funny. So those are some of the paperbacks out today. Now, Kelly, what are you going to read next? I just started last night Her Good Side by Rebecca Weatherspoon, which is a YA romance, and it's ticking all my boxes so far. What about you? I am going to read The Art Thief, a true story of love, crime, and a dangerous obsession by Michael Finkel, which comes out June 27th. He is the author of The Stranger in the Woods, which was about the man who lived in the Maine woods for almost 30 years. And this one is about the world's most prolific art thief, which sounds really fun. I think I've got that one sitting on my um, arc shelf on my Kindle, too, like if I remember correctly. It's like, a, like picture the cover. It's got like a redhead on it. Am I right? Hmm. 
It's got a bat on it. Like that's half it. Of it has like that's, a bat. Yes, yeah. yes, that's if it. If I remember correctly, I don't remember what the. I think there is like a, a girl or something at the bottom half, like in a painting. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the bat's for, but I like it. <laughs> bats, bats, bats. That's all for today. Uh, be sure to check out the deep dive at bookriot.substack.com. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Kelly, where can we find you? I'm still on the sinking ship at uh, Veronica Kelly Mars on Twitter. I, I still occasionally go on Twitter. I went on today because it was like, you have a notification. I was like, what is it? And it's like, today's your 15-year anniversary uh-huh. on Twitter. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't go on very often anymore, but I mean, Twitter did bring me so much joy for so many years. Um, but mostly you can find me now on Instagram at FranzenComesAlive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading! reading.